Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself. What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome 
Ladies and gentlemen, all human beings listening to the Woke Bros, I'm your illustrious co-host, Michael Aziz Shabazz, Mohammed Abdul X. Brooks, as always with my paisan, compadre, and comrade, Wazni Lombre, Big Waz. Wazni. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up? I still go by the Haitian sensation and your favorite and, oh, Haitian. Just pardon me. The as Haitian well as the Haitian irritation. Haitian irritation is my personal favorite. Right. Because it's like a double entendre. Uh, <laughs> what should mine be? Like, fucking the Jew-Irish charisma. <clears throat> All right. So, as always, we have the brilliant Rob Lopez steering the ship. Sometimes we give him a job to do. Sometimes he just leans back and makes sure that everything's going in the right direction. In any scenario, he is indispensable. Uh, this week's show, we've got a ton to get to, but first, we want to let you know out the gate about live shows. This Saturday, two days from now, if you're listening to this tomorrow on Friday, we're recording this on a Thursday, and you are in the Chicago area or even just in the Midwest you want to jump in your car, we have tickets still left for the Chicago live show. Not many, uh, so it would still probably be smarter to buy it online, although I have to be honest uh, – some people have had trouble buying it online, and I'm not going to sort of, you know, I got to be, well, I found that very irritating. It's all how I'll put it. But we still got some tickets left. <laughs> Come to Chicago. I'm really excited to hit the Midwest. August 24th, uh, Lincoln Hall in Chicago. Get your tickets for TMBS Live. Waz, what's happening in San Francisco? San Francisco, October 12th at the Independent Count the Dings will be live and direct on that stage. Obviously, you know the entire crew, myself, Black Trey, Amino Hassan, Mariano Bivens, Jade Hoy, the evil producer, Nitsan Bluestein, uh, Eden Le, Anthony Mays, this, you know, the whole Tom Haberstro, Ethan Strauss, along with special guests, Andy Lou, and Sam Espeniari, who happens to be Persian yeah, and not guys Italian. Have such a good and to the extent I'm part of, I mean, I guess I'm part of the Count the Dings overall experience. 100%. And there's so many good people in this squad. It's like every time you go, like, I mean, I can't name all of them, but Nays, Bluestein, Mariano, Trey, fucking uh, all of Harper. I mean, you, a lot of good people, man. Obviously, Jay, too, of course. Yes, and everybody's going to be in the building. Special guest Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, the Bay Area legend. Uh, we got a couple of more guests coming through. You don't want to miss this. This is October 12th. Yes, there's a few tickets left, but it won't be like that for long. Um, this is probably going to be our biggest show ever. No, it's definitely – it's already our biggest show ever in the Bay Area. We sort of did some smaller venues before we had to level up, which I think why wow, there's only a few tickets left, but still um, one night only – in San Francisco at the Independent, count the dings live. Yeah, an amazing way of getting the experience. So this past week, Donald Trump, I always say that there's only one country in the world where fascism is safe for Jewish people, and that is Israel. Everywhere else, <laughs> even if, you know, uh, relatively speaking, uh, anti-Semitism ebbs and, ebbs and flows as its force in the world— it's always a threat, and it's definitely always a threat underneath authoritarian right-wing regimes like the Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And so Donald Trump came out this weekend and basically said – or this past week and said, look, if you're Jewish, you're not voting for me. 
You're either uninformed or disloyal. Trump is getting bashed again for repeating a comment about Jewish Americans. He told White House reporters yesterday that any Jewish person who votes Democratic is being, quote, disloyal. In my opinion, you vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. Of course, implying implying that Jews have a dual loyalty, which is... And that was what Rudy Giuliani said as well. Do you uh, make basically, to be anti-Semitic. Am I oh, making definitely. that up? No, it's 100% <laughs> like the, the implication 100% that the Jew, like a Jewish person's ultimate loyalty, always lied within Israel. That was like a trope that people would use against the Jewish people as an anti-Semitic trope. A hundred percent. So that was funny because Rudy Giuliani came out defending Trump, saying he didn't mean. Not, you know, he's like, he didn't mean not loyal to America. He meant not loyal to Israel, the other fucking country you people are loyal to. <laughs> I can't help but Sopranos it. So basically, yeah. you know, I, I think to be honest, though, the, the smartest interpretation I saw of all of this is that at the end of the day, look, Jewish voters vote Democratic overwhelmingly, uh, even as, you know, obviously Trump is a you know, very aligned with the regime in Israel, supports Israel 100 percent in every rights violation. Way, so is the Democratic Party. And so does the Democratic Party overwhelmingly with some small kind of openings with brave people like Ilan Omar. But I just think that the only thing I'll say is I think that this honestly is just I think this is Trump just I mean, there's always a little bit of strategy and things, but I think this is also just him getting pissy and whiny. Uh, because he thought that I did all these things. So why aren't the Jews supporting me? <laughs> well, sure. Um, and by all these things, right, it's like that nasty, vicious attack on right. Ilyano Omar on Twitter. Like, I, that was, whew, man. And again, well, I keep supporting the Israeli apartheid and Jerusalem as the capital and all of that, too. Yeah, of, cor- <laughs> of course. But like, yeah. it's just like that attack on Ilyano Omar on Twitter was even me. I was looking at it, I was like, this is cartoonish. Like, this is like the type of thing that Mike might spoof on the TMBS show of what Trump is going to say next um, to these women. It was kind of scary um quite frankly and i don't even say that lightly i was just like whoa dude like you are unhinged and again this is a guy who's been unhinged for basically since 2015 and he came down the escalator this isn't new and we say this every fucking week but like every time i'm just like wow and the funny thing is like i read somewhere i think 80% 80% of American Jews vote Democratic, right? And it's not because <laughs> it's not because they're stupid or they don't know where um, politicians' allegiances lie. It's because this very same xenophobic, you know, um, jingoistic, way over the top nationalistic rhetoric that Republicans always use to otherize people like Jewish Americans have an understanding and appreciation for when those tropes and those views get used against them for 2,000 years. That's part of why people don't – these people don't vote for the GOP, right? Like that's part of the reason no matter what their economic standing is or their class standing or whatever you want to use of what part of the country they live in. It doesn't matter. Across the board – They view the Republican Party and the type of people who they want to attract and say, that's not for me. This isn't some, this isn't mysterious. It's kind of 
you know, simple and cut and dry. And, and just this week was just kind of disgusting to watch. And not just because of its sheer, like, just how over the top and unnecessary it was. It's just like, dude, you're stupid. Like, you, you're, you're using anti-Semitic tropes to engender yourself with Jewish people. It's... It, it's mind-boggling, bro. It's it's as if yeah, I saw you know, a joke on Twitter by I I, I, I got to find it real quick. It was a it was a foreign policy, really smart foreign policy dude that we follow one another, uh, Stephen Wertheim, and he said, um, it, "It's it's okay." I quoted from this is at Steve Stephen Wertheim. Increasingly clear, the scriptwriters will end the Trump presidency with Trump denying the Holocaust and APAC applauding. I mean, seriously, like that's funny, but there's also a lot of truth in it. The other thing that happens as part of this whole drama, and I'll use it as an opportunity to make a joke in a minute, but first was, I mean, just to let this really sink in, Wayne Allen Root, who some some fucking marginal nutcase, you know, ultra far right extremist on Newsmax, he's got some, I don't even know, he's got some type of... I don't even I think I think he does actually have some type of sports background, like even like maybe sports betting or something like that. I'm not sure. And he pops up like if you, you know, from time to time for saying something, you know, incredibly demented or insane about Obama. And he said to Trump, this is a quote. He said, President Trump is the greatest president for Jews and for Israel in the history of the world, not just America. He's the best president for Israel in the history of the world. The Jewish people in Israel love him like he's the king of Israel, blah, 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 blah. And then he's and I'm going forward. He said, all all Jews, blacks, gays, everyone important. Importantly, he's doing a good for everyone in America who wants a job. Now, the reason I'm quoting this lunatic is because Trump quoted all of it verbatim and tweeted it out. Trump literally, quote, thank you, Rain Allen Root, for the very nice words. Then he tweeted out three different tweets completing this quote, praising him as the king of Israel. And he just ended after all of the quotations. He just wrote, wow, <laughs> with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> he called himself the chosen one. He referred to himself as the second coming, even though the point of – um. Judaism is that they don't believe in the first coming in the first place. It's like they're still waiting on that first one. Um, the guy is just a, he's just a clown, man. Like it's just it's crazy. It's 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 crazy. It's as if like I'm courting black voters by saying, "We're tired of you saying that black people aren't the most athletic people on the planet." Okay, <laughs> we're tired of it. We're tired of you saying black people don't make the best fried chicken. We're tired of that. Give black people that dude. Let's do it. It's like, bro, what are you doing, bro? Like, what are you doing? You know that I got to do the, like, in the parallel world where it's just like, Brother Sadat X Mohammed on YouTube. Look at this. Everybody, including pig-grafted yakus, as well as Asiatic black men, love Obama. If they're looking for a job, the king of Saudi Arabia and the Emirate of Saudi Arabia and, they, and the Sultan of Mecca. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just like Obama, just picking like, <laughs> brother, brother Sadat X Aziz. Even the devils love Obama. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tremendous comment from Sadat X on the on the Nubian Truth YouTube channel. 
<laughs> Again, it's it's just it's wow. just incredible. Um, it's just incredible that this guy. <laughs> who, you know, nobody plays footsie more with the neo-Nazis of this country. Like, no president's done it more since, what, Reagan, probably. Right? Like, nobody's and Reagan's done... Reagan's sure dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's done more to, to, like, placate these people and wink at these people and nod at them. And it's just like, for you to come out and, and say, oh, I'm the king of the Jews, it's like... <laughs> I'm often at a loss for words with this guy, and I try not to do it, but it's, it's hard when you like literally sit and unpack everything that he's doing out in public, out in the open. This isn't some private conversation being unearthed, right? This is what he's willing to say, put his face and name behind in public. It's incredible. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Wow, Brother Shabazz on Twitter says, Obama loved by even subhuman ape white people grafted from pigs. If they're looking for jobs, he's like the sultan of the world. Wow. That's the truth there. That's really the truth. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Did you see did you see the other day, man? Trump was at uh he was getting on a plane and he did like a haiku poem. He won't he was like Criminal justice reform, so good, and they never mention my name. So stupid, so stupid. And then he went, "Thank you," and walked off to his plane. <laughs> oh lord! Yeah, they, see, this is the problems. Like, children are literally dying in U.S. custody who have to have been kidnapped because of this motherfucker and this team of the worst people on earth. Like between the Republican Party and Bolsonaro are the greatest threats to planet Earth. And yet he's still funny. Like that's what's unbelievable. It's like it's still funny. It's it's a fucking comedy, man. It's, it's so over the top and, and just it's lunacy. It, it's it's like how can somebody do this in public on and like and if he didn't have his job, if his job wasn't so damn important. Um, it'd still be funny, but like, I think what's funny is like the, how tragic it is. Like this man has this important job and he is an idiot. Like, I'm sorry. It's hard not to laugh at that. I mean, yeah, he's also like a deeply unwell idiot. Um, so let's, uh, let's pivot to, um, you know, I, I said Bolsonaro between, between the Republican party, Noam Chomsky recently said, the Republican Party is objectively the greatest threat to the future of humanity. And that's a, you know, that's just undeniable. They run the most powerful country in the world and they're committed to destroying the global ecosystem. Therefore, that is the greatest threat to planetary survival comes from the Republican Party, it comes from capitalism, frankly, which the Republican Party is the undiluted representative of. And now you have this Jair Bolsonaro regime in Brazil, which I've covered it and talked about it on many occasions. There's no area that you could possibly think of or worry about that they aren't absolutely horrible. I mean, he is definitely one of the leading clown fascists, uh, you know, destructive, horrific governments in the world. But now we have uh, we have fires ripping through the Amazon and at a way beyond normal rate. One of the world's most important natural treasures in flames. Over 9,500 fires have broken out since last week, threatening the most biologically diverse place on Earth and the long-term health of our planet. An area about half the size of the US, these forests produce 20% of the world's oxygen. 
The fires in the Amazon rainforest so huge they're even visible from space. Strong winds pushing the smoke hundreds of miles, plunging the Brazilian city of Sao Paulo into darkness. On Wednesday, hundreds took to Brazil's streets to protest the government's lack of response. Fires are common in the summer, but environmental campaigners say this year is worse than ever because Brazil's new president has allowed deforestation to accelerate. And this is because he has been encouraging this. Um, he's given the wink and the nod to big agribusinesses uh, and big farming operations that they can clear more territory for themselves for grazing. Um, and everybody knew out of the gate including, of course, supporters from, you know, support from the U.S. government, the business community who's endorsed by The Wall Street Journal. Companies in America and Canada and Australia see huge business opportunities in the destruction of the Amazon. So what you have here is ecocide, which should be a term, and also, and also if it doesn't stop, a complete ethnic cleansing and mass murder of indigenous people in Brazil. This is all supported by Western corporations. It's become an embarrassment because it's so radical. So now Bolsonaro, like Trump, is saying that non-governmental organizations have started these fires to embarrass him, when, of course, this is absolutely a result of, you know, all of these Western companies and his fascist uh, incompetent government. In fact, he fired the head of the space agency recently because the space agency uh, head would not lie about the destruction rates in the Amazon forum. And, you know, the bottom line is I've heard estimates between 20 and 25 percent of the world's oxygen comes from this uh, forest, this ecology. So we're already in a crisis. And this is um, – I mean, if it becomes a dead zone, which it could become by 2030 with this trend in line, that's, again, it's a horrific – I mean, this is one of the greatest atrocities in the world that this government is committing right now to the ecology, the people, the wildlife of the Amazon. But, of course, it threatens the health of the whole planet. Yeah, it, man, you hit it right on the head when it comes to the corporations back in this, right? It's It's – is capitalism at its very ugliest. Uh, whatever it means to turn a buck, we got to do it. Like long t long term ramifications be damned, right? Like you see it all the time with oil companies when, you know, their piping and and their drilling is is not up to safety precautions, and it's just like, well, we'll pay a fine and make more money doing it like this in the long run. So it doesn't matter what it does to the environment, right? Like we know we'll get caught, we'll pay a fine and we'll move on, but like that fine is worth it just so that we can continue doing it the way that we do, like the long-term ramifications be damned. And what you see happening in the Amazon rainforest is, you know, it's more of the same, right? Like obviously this is all profit driven. And if you're a good capitalist, you make money at all costs. This is, it doesn't, like, in all costs means all costs, Mike. <laughs> like, it, like right. the, the Amazon rainforest is underneath all the banner of all costs, right? There, are, There's nothing sacred. There's nothing not worth pummeling. There's nothing that comes before profit. Like, it's just, that's the system that we live under. That's the ethos of all of our overseers and oligarchs. Like, if it makes money, then it's right. It doesn't matter. And you see that from gun companies. It does, like it, You can pick whatever the capitalistic endeavor is. Um, everybody, it, the financial services industry, like who cares if we crash the economy? We're insured already and we have our profits to lean back on that we did in the, that we got in the process. So what? Who cares? 
We can buy the politician. Who cares? Who cares if we, you know, if we're deteriorating um, trust in American democracy, right? Like this thing that's supposed to be a beacon of hope. Who cares? We made money. Right. And this is just more of the same is it's kind of sad. Like, again, like when you think about something like the Amazonian rainforest. Right. Like, of course. And that's before you get to the the, the straight up just human life of the indigenous people there. People who have be- literally been there for thousands of years. Um, The displacement, displacement and death of those people. Like it's the fucking Amazon. Right. Like people call it Earth's lungs. Like we get so much of our oxygen from this place. And it just doesn't matter in service of a dollar. It, it's it's incredible. It's a, man, it's it's tough. It, but you're right. I mean, it is that is the logic of capitalism. Period. Full stop. And I just want to say, you know, I'm not even trying to to like, you know, yes, like I covered Brazil very aggressively for a long time. I've been saying for a very long time that people need to get serious about freeing Lula, the political prisoner, former president of Brazil. And I just want to say really quickly, I mean, in some positive news, there was a letter that was came out August 21st that was signed by 13 members of Congress. It was spear, spearheaded by Congressman uh, uh, Hank Johnson from Georgia. And the signatures include uh, Ro Khanna, Ilan Omar, Susan Wilde, Deb Holland, uh, Jesus, Chewy Garcia, Emmanuel Cleaver, and a couple of others. I mean, frankly, it should be a hell of a lot more. And it's very weird and disappointing to not see AOC and Rashida Tlaib on it and really anybody that claims a progressive credential. But the letter explicitly asked the Department of Justice for answers on the Brazilian corruption and the prosecution of former President Lula da Silva and very specifically what the DOJ role was in the Lava Jato corrupt political operation that criminalized the Workers' Party in Brazil. And I just want to say, you know, I mean, this is a huge, I mean, look, Lula is the most prominent political prisoner in the world, and everybody should be agitating for his freedom. In fact, people should be agitating for an annulment of the 2018 election because Bolsonaro is illegitimate. If he ran in a real election against Lula, he would have lost. But the bigger picture to me is that you know, with the backing of the Department of Justice, the Obama administration's abominable policy in Latin America, as well as the, you know, the stupid, you know, the press, and the Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, Guardian. I mean, so many people, whether it was from, you know, laziness or institutional conflicts of interest, they blindly cheer- cheerleaded this you know, horrific political operation, which has caused so much damage in Latin America took the most prominent center-left politician who, you know, certainly wasn't perfect on the Amazon. But again, I mean, people are sending me pieces about Lula initiatives on protecting the Amazon and all these other things that, in fact, his and Dilma's government did that definitely significantly slowed the problem and tried to start it in the right direction, as well as their really important work they did in support of indigenous people's sovereignty and rights. So, you know, I just everybody that kind of like, oh, corruption, uh, you know, that stupidity, uh, that laziness, that um, wrongheadedness, that arrogance, that naivete or something more sinister about U.S. intentions. Um, no doubt Lula went down because of his unwillingness uh, to make certain oil reserves uh, open for U.S. investment, as well as other reasons. Um, you know, that is the direct consequence of this 
moron fascist who is the greatest threat to the planet right now. We would have a President Lula, but a bunch of fucking morons believed and promoted a pack of lies and helped create this situation. So people should take accountability and think about that. Beautifully said. issues like i'm just kidding it's the opposite <laughs> um, yeah. sorry sorry waste of time with too much time on that shit yeah taylor swift uh recently <laughs> today actually went on good morning america she's announcing her album she's talking about this that and the question of her not owning her masters actually came up and she mentioned that uh i mean one thing about this album that's really special to me is that it's the first one that i will own of my work Which is a concept that they're very supportive yeah, right, of. Right, right. You know, you know I, 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 I was going to wait to ask you about that, but since you went there, this is something that is very important to you. And you've also said that you're planning on re recording some of your music. Is that true? Wait a minute. Are you going to do that? Yeah, that's true, and it's something that I'm very excited about doing because my contract says that starting November 2020, so next year, I can record albums one through five all over again, so. And you'll do that. I'm very excited about it because. Why is this so important to you? Because I just think that, I think that artists deserve to own their work. I just feel very passionately about that. She's going to re-record her first five um, albums, the, the, like her contract stipulates that she can now do that so that, and she will own those masters and not the quote unquote original. She's just going to do new vocals and now she can sell the big hits from those first five albums and actually make the, the lion's share of the money by doing that, right? This, this story is interesting to me, Mike, because it comes through the vessel of Taylor Swift, who might be the most insufferable music artist of my life. Like, and of course, like that's to exclude like Mike Jack with the kids and, and Ike Turner and his deplorable behavior. And like, you know, the obvious like fucked up stuff like R. Kelly and all that. Like, like the obvious like criminal acts, right? Um, Take those people out. But Taylor Swift is literally the most insufferable person I've probably ever seen in the pop music space. Like she she goes out of her way to be like, whoa, it's me and Scooter Braun. Just, he came from up under me and bought my masters and I was just so blindsided, which is a lie. Her dad, who's a business partner in Big Time Records and um, is also her manager and business, business partner, uh, they had an opportunity to buy the work first. They were like, all right, we're going to pass. That's probably too expensive for what we can afford, even if we do want to own the masters to our original work. Like, She's just a terrible vessel to attack the question of ownership and artists. And like how these major record labels decide to make their money, the way they exploit the artists, the people who put their blood, sweat and tears. Right. It's just the role of capital in the music system. Like how long 
this big time records or whoever scooter braun or whoever how long do they get to profit off of the work of taylor swift or anybody else because they made an initial capital investment like i think that's the essential question here right because all the time it happens where a business entity, what, what they have is capital and they see potential in somebody. They're like, you know what? We're going to invest in you. We're going to invest in studio time. We're going to invest in developing you as an artist. We're going to invest in your first music video. We're going to invest in all of these things. And hopefully, ultimately, what we see in you comes to fruition and you recoup all of our money and then more for the blood, sweat and tears or whatever that we put into you. But for how long? Right. I think that's ultimately the question. And again, like the, the, a lot of the a theme of woke bros is how insidious capitalism is. Right. Like, why should you make money off of these people, off of their work for the rest of their lives? Because an initial um, capital investment, I don't think that's right. I just think it's interesting that Taylor Swift is the one bringing this issue up because she is so fucking annoying. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that was what hit me about this is and I'm trying to think like what happens when, you know, sometimes there's really annoying people. Sometimes there's even just like really disgusting people who still could be either making a, a point that's correct because it serves their own interests, as in this case, um, or even just be in. A situation where they're not even making a point. They've created problems for themselves and they're pointing to something else. You know, like I'm thinking of, um, you know, people wanting to deplatform and demonetize a whole bunch of like disgusting reactionaries on YouTube uh, and so on. But the truth of the matter is, is that you can already see in terms of like the broader ramifications of what that kind of move does, right? It's just greater demonetization, greater direction towards corporate media. And so, you know, it's like, it's easy to jump on. Well, let's like either blow this person off because they suck or let's get at this person because they're absolutely horrible and miss the bigger picture and the bigger problems. And so, yeah, I mean, whatever. She's super annoying. She's right. I mean, I think she's got a big point. Yeah, that kind of extractive agreement is a big problem. And to and to to again to Taylor Swift's defense, as much as I don't like her, this is a, this is an issue. This 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 um question of ownership is something she's been raising basically since the beginning of her career, right? Like she infamously went after Apple and Spotify, right? Where they were like, she was like, "Yo, the splits for artists on these streams is bullshit." And, and as a matter of fact, Apple, I'm taking my shit off of your platform. People just, if my fans want my shit, they got to buy physical copies. They got to buy the whole album on iTunes. I'm not doing the streaming part with you guys. Um, Spotify, you guys are the biggest streamers in the world. Get better with your splits, right? Um, she, She's somebody who's been attacking this issue from the start to her credit. I will say that in pre-production, Mike, you were talking about Nas on Drink Champs with Nori. Nori asked him... Um, Who's 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 the one artist that's ever turned you down? And Nas immediately remembered his, his most critical moment of being turned down by an artist for a collaboration. He was like, it was Prince. And Prince said to me, do you own your masters, Nas? And I was like, nah, I don't. I've been sold um, the rights to my pub, my masters, blah, 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 a while ago. And he was like, come back to me when you own your shit. And obviously Prince infamously, you know, he changed his name. He left his label. He, and became the artist, formerly the artist or the symbol or whatever. Um, and that was all because he felt like the music industry 
practice, the music, major record label practice um, of hanging, handing out deals was very exploitative. And, you know, people, be, as long as there's been a music industry, managers and labels have been exploiting artists with the idea of being like, we know what you want really bad. You want your name out there. You want to hear your, your record on the radio. We know what you want really bad. All that shit on the back end. <laughs> we, we, we'll worry about all of that because we're going to give you what you, what you want right now. And we're going to exploit your lack of, of knowledge and education and how the business works because it is very complicated. Like even if you look up, you know, the laws governing masters and publishing and all of that, it's very complicated and intricate. And a lot of artists don't learn till later on in their career when they sit down and read these contracts and like, hold the fuck up. This is what that means. And this is what this means is a very exploitative system, right? Like it's just how it's built. And to this day, it still is because it's still based on, you know, how it was when Frank Sinatra first got his first record deal, right? Like it's still based on that system and idea. Um, It's never changed. So I, I just thought it was interesting that you know, because this Scooter Braun thing happened months ago, but it's back in the news because she's on her album promo tour. And, you know, when it did happen, um, that's why I think it's funny that, that Taylor Swift is um is talking about, yo, I'm re-recording all of my shits and making sure I, I own it. Um, TLC happened to be on a press run for their tour with uh with Nelly and, and Flo Rida, and they they were on, I think they were on Sway in the morning. I watched this interview, and T Boz was like, Listen, we, you know, it took us a long time to become you know, financially secure on what we're doing because we signed so many bad deals. And the she and T Boz literally said, you know what I would tell Taylor Swift? re-record her shit and she'll own those masters and she was like we had to do that and we thought oh it's not gonna sound like the original blah 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 it sounds just like the old shit and now we're reaping the benefits of it so i just thought it was interesting that you know months ago tlc was basically like just re-record it and now it makes big news that taylor swift's like i'm gonna re-record my albums i you know i i just found the story interesting just based on you know even so again i think the message here is even somebody who is as you know, financially empowered, who's clearly made a bunch of people rich, right? Like Taylor Swift has made money for a lot of people. She's one of the most successful artists of her of my of our entire existence, right? Like she's one of the biggest pop stars of our lives. Um, and even she, even she doesn't own her original masters. And you think about all the money she's made for people. Again, it just tells you how the system is set up. Um, it's quite nasty and disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, the last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, basically that even when you talk about people like her being super well compensated and everything, like, yeah, of course, they're very privileged. But, you know, just as we always say with athletes, I mean, the dynamic right. at the end of the day, yep. you know, there's all of these different subtleties. Obviously, athletes have, you know, infinitely more power than your average worker, but they're still workers. <laughs> and yeah, so and that dynamic, you know, just apply. I mean, cause that's just a, that's just technical. You know what I mean? Bosses and workers, like how that dynamic works is literally like, it's not, it doesn't change, you know, that it just is what it is. So Taylor Swift, yeah, she's one of the most famous and successful people on the planet. She's rich as hell. She's got influence. She's got power. She has clout she still signed that deal. And so someone else gets to extract and own a part of her for really no good reason. It's a perpetuity. 
And I just and I'm happy you mentioned the, the NFL thing so we can get off of this. This will be our last thing before we dig into crates. I, and I mentioned I had to say this on Twitter for somebody, but I'm going to say it here on, on in this space here because there's a lot. And, you know, the Jay-Z NFL thing chatter has not really died down as much so much as the like when we first talked about it, Mike. But I do want to yeah. address this one thing, this idea that Eric Reed can't critique Jay-Z because he's, quote unquote, taking the NFL's money. Let me explain something to y'all. The money that Eric Reed earns with the NFL, not from the NFL, with the NFL, the players and the NFL owners have a partnership. This is not some, oh, uh, we feel bad for you, so we pay you money, Eric Reed, and you and your little buddies playing football. No, 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 no. There's a partnership. Those people don't watch TV so that other people can sell ads. Those people don't show up and pay their money because Jerry Jones owns the team. No, 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 no. They come to watch people like Eric Reed. And so therefore the owners, they're the capital of this equation. They're in partnership with the fucking talent. Yes, the owners have the capital to erect stadiums and, you know, to do this and to do that. And for that, they should be compensated. Nobody says anything about that. But the reason those stadiums, the reason we watch this shit every day, the reason those jerseys get purchased is because of the players. So before you fix your mouth to say Eric Reed took money from the NFL, too, so he doesn't have a right. No, 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 no. Eric Reed is getting what he earned. He's part of a collective of people who are in partnership with the fucking NFL owners. So stop, so get it out your mind. Stop with the bootlicking mentality about money that Eric Reed, quote unquote, took. Money that Colin Kaepernick, quote unquote, took from the NFL. Colin Kaepernick sued the NFL for wages lost. They blackballed right. him. He sued them for money. They decided on the number. Therefore, the lawsuit ended for wages lost unlawfully through a blackballing. Right. So stop saying Eric Reed took money from the NFL or Colin Kaepernick took money. So what's Hoves? Why can't Hove take money? No, 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 no. This is it's different. They're a part of a collective of people who are in a partnership with the NFL. They are not the NFL's little bitches or side bitches or, you know, their little lackeys. No, they are part of a collective who is in partnership with them. That's his money. He did, they didn't give it to him. That's his money. You know what? Let me just – the side point is this is not the main point, which you just put beautifully. But the side point is, like, that's an insult to Jay-Z too. Like, Jay-Z is trying to do his mogul thing. Which is why, by the way, he's approaching this with no strategy and no values, in my opinion. But right. Jay-Z is not an employee of the NFL. He's going into a partnership. That Man, why do people say such dumb shit? I don't I think know. Sometimes I don't... People just need to, like, be okay that their heroes fuck up sometimes. Yes! Like, I think that's so funny because I'm always, like – I, you know, I critique, I feel like a lot of times we critique the cancel culture's trash. It's stupid. I don't support it. I'm all about, you know, uh, dealing with people. People need to be rehabilitated, whatever. Sometimes you just need to argue with people. You can't always go to that. And then on the flip side, like sometimes you just have to be okay with that. Your person fucked up and they're going to get some heat for it. It doesn't mean that the Jay-Z records are going anywhere. It doesn't mean we don't listen to his music. It doesn't mean, but we're still going to critically assess him. And this was fucking stupid. Like, come on, stop. It's, it's, it's simple. I just had to get that off my chest. Cause I've been, see I just keep seeing it and seeing it. And it's just one of those things I had to get off of. But, um, Digging in the crates, Mike. Uh, I think Dame you just Dash decided to Trump. I just gotta say, <laughs> we'll do that. 
Um, I, th- I guess we've decided that we're just going to jack the, the, the segment from your old podcast because we can't come be creative enough to come up with a new name for it. Uh, it yeah. <laughs> Very capitalistic of us, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> we own the masters. <laughs> uh, I, you, you know what? I just got... My own crate, man. My one crate this week that I that I de- absolutely want to share with folks. Um, my man Aaron Dodson, who's a friend of the pod, uh, he wrote a piece in the Undefeated about Nipsey Hussle's deal with Puma. And again, you know, seems hypocritical of us to go from uh, a capitalistic critique to, you know, this these two brands and entities coming together. But uh, with the way he explained what Nipsey wanted to do with them, how he wanted to uh, craft a deal with them, what what the the whole point of what he was doing, um, I just thought it was beautiful in light of the guys that they actually finished this shit. They finished the line probably about a week or two. It was completed. Uh, before Nipsey's death and was slated to drop in September and is still coming out right on time. 100% of the proceeds are going to the to Nipsey Hussle's foundation, which I also think is incredible. Um, I was just very moved reading the piece as somebody who's still kind of uh, mourning Nipsey's death. Uh, go ahead and read Aaron Dobson's um, piece in The Undefeated about Nipsey's deal with Puma. I can't wait. Actually, please send that to me, man. That's fascinating. Yep. I want to read that. Um, I'm going to recommend a book called Sacred Games, which is this Indian gangster epic. It's very weird. It's 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 not a perfect book. It's super messy, but that kind of makes sense given the subject matter. It gives you a sense of – I mean I've never been to India, but it gives you a sense of Bombay. It gives you a sense of really – The kind of history, like you look at what's happening in Kashmir right now and the real extremism of the current Indian government. Um, So you got everything, a kind of taste of the religious life of India across so many boundaries, uh, the gangster life, uh, which is actually, you know, is very connected to a lot of international politics in various ways and conflict between Hindus and Muslims. It's a series on Netflix which is super uneven. I mean, it's interesting. Some of it, I think, just doesn't translate, frankly. But some of it is actually very well acted and interesting. It's very uneven. But I actually would recommend the book, Sacred Games. It's it's like a fun read, and it gives you a dose, I think, of kind of what's happening now in that part of the world. All right, folks. Waz, as always, absolute pleasure. Rob, pleasure. Thanks to the evil genius Jade Hoy behind it all. Find me at patreon.com slash TMBS, Michael Brooks Show on YouTube, Michael Brooks Show on iTunes. That's the best way to find me. Follow me on Twitter and all of that. Was how they find you. Of course, become a member of The Athletic. Subscribe to the bomb feed and leave this show a review immediately. And at Big Waz on Twitter. Yeah, Big Waz on Twitter, pretty much every single social media uh, platform that's ever been created, I've been Big Waz. So, yeah, (laughs) find me. All right, folks. We'll see you next week.